Welcome to the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Blix. This is Trav. This is Jay. This is Amber. And this is Paul. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast, your podcast of figuring out that the world is not what you expected and you can't convince anybody of that truth. <laughs> this week, we're talking about insanity. Playing insane characters. This is part of our ongoing series on playing difficult characters, which we hope that you'll go back and and review some of our previous episodes on that. In this one, we're suggesting that it might be fun to play a character who is completely insane. And by that, I mean substantially insane. So, Bruce, where are we on 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 our schedule here? Okay, we've gone through the various kinds of delusions that I think would be fun to play, and now we're moving on to compulsions. Oh. Okay, the first compulsion is... I have a compulsion to talk over you about that one and inject something. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, yes. Saying something they didn't mean to say, like a, a racial or ethnic or gender slur, and it could be triggered by the appearance or the sound of a certain person's voice, that you have to say something every time that they start talking. It could be an amplification of a minor opinion. It's one of these things where you just have to do this uh, whenever the trigger appears. It's about being an attention whore, frankly. I want you all to pay attention to me. It could be, or it could be something that you absolutely just don't want to happen, and it gets in your way. We're talking about adventure, so if all of a sudden someone curses you with this kind of compulsion and you are insulting everybody around you, it could be really hard for you to to complete your diplomatic mission or uh, complete your negotiation for a very sought-after item or woo the woman of your dreams or man of your dreams because you have some kind of a negative behavior that, or at least disturbing behavior that everyone around you knows is just not right in this setting. Well, sometimes you'll swear. Tourette's. Tourette's syndrome, that's it. Right. Yeah. That's one of the, the more common things. There's people that when they get afraid, they have to sing. It's, it's how they deal with it. They deal with the fear. They have to sing, and, and you can't stop them. Every time you hear a song, you have to dance to it. Even if it means you just jump up and start doing it, and everyone around you is like, it's just a song on the radio. But you know, you could be in the middle of a car going down the road, and all of a sudden you start dancing and twitching and throwing yourself around the car. Dude, sometimes, this is really weird, but there, there have been a couple times in my past where I have been presented with somebody who's hysterical, and I start laughing uncontrollably. And it, it's horrible because they are genuinely out of control. I don't know what it is, but it's like a nervous reaction or something. But 
I'll start giggling and I can't help myself. And I'm, I'm like, I'm literally was telling the person, look, I'm sorry. I don't know why I'm laughing. I can't stop. I, I've done that before in a couple of occasions. And no, it's no funny. I don't really think it's funny. It's not funny. But there's just something that triggers it and I don't know what it is. And I, and I felt terrible because I was just like – they were hysterical. And for some reason, I couldn't stop giggling and it was just awful. I've, I've got a really bad one. When somebody gets really, really mad at me, I mean like really they're about to start throwing punches and I have haunt them off to the end of the world. I find that really funny. Just when things are getting, uh, just tipping out of control is when I start grinning and wanting to laugh at them. I'm surprised that I didn't get all my teeth knocked out before. Yeah, I've made an unpleasant person out of myself several times. Oh, yeah. Mine was, of course, uh, if you listen to the podcast, you know, uh, I stutter. I was a worse stutterer. I also had lisp when I was a kid. So I had a stutter with a lisp. And I couldn't pronounce my R's. So, yeah, yeah, I was bully target a lot when I was a kid. I had to take uh, speech therapy and everything to get around it. You can play up those sort of ticks and so forth, but uh, if you start talking like that, like like Porky Pig, <laughs> people will say, care yourself after a while. Uh, that takes somebody who's being really, really insensitive. If you're going to have a character who does this, that could be an interesting character piece. But you want to kind of measure where your players are. You don't want to get into a position where you're telling a player, that was totally uncalled for. Get out. Well, no, no, I'm not talking a real stutter. I mean, if you're playing a character who stutters. Yes. If you're playing a stutterer and, and somebody starts going off on their own opinion about stuttering, that, that could be bad. On the other hand, I find that sometimes getting into the head of somebody who has such a challenge to overcome can be kind of interesting. can help me understand what kind of challenges a person might face when they're doing that, when they have that kind of a challenge against them. And not only stuttering, but other disabilities or, or mental disabilities or physical disabilities. You can have other types of compulsions, too. The, the one that always seems to creep in whenever we start doing compulsions and such are the sexual compulsions, which we're not going to go into any great detail because this is a clean podcast. Right. quite possible for someone to suddenly engage in a behavior that they don't even understand why they're doing it. They just have to do it because it's this compulsion that they have based upon either something in themselves or it's induced by a spell or a chemical effect or anything that you might want to put in your game to do it. In the terminal man, the guy had electrodes in his head. If you press the right electrode, all of a sudden he started putting the moves on any girl around him. Turn the electrode off, he's like, I don't know why I was doing that. And this could be happening easily for anything like that. You know, Bruce, we're talking about uh, a mental illness. Right. You know, mental illness doesn't always come from just bad wiring. Sometimes it comes from an actual physical disturbance in the brain. So, for example, like you were talking about the the, the sexual problems, um, there are documented cases where people will get a brain tumor. So you'll have a normal guy. Uh, I'm going to use a guy in this case just because I know this is, this is a real occurrence. There was a guy who was a normal guy, lived a normal life, had a wife and kids and everything like that. All of a sudden, he started getting into child pornography. He was obsessed with child porn. 
it turned out he went to the doctor and he had a brain tumor. They removed the tumor and all of that compulsion to look at child pornography went away. Every bit of it. Turned out Charles Whitman, the guy who climbed up in the tower and shot people down in Texas back in the 60s, turns out he had a brain tumor. And when they went back and they, they did the like reverse uh, medical evaluation on him, uh, it turned out that they were looking at his writings, like in his, you know, his diaries and stuff. It turned out that the tumor that he had in his brain was about the right age or about the right amount of time to match the writings of him. He started writing about wanting to kill people. The, the size of his tumor and the rate that it would normally grow fit his writings exactly. It, they basically believe that it was a brain tumor that caused him to shoot all those people that gave him that compunction. He was completely normal until that brain tumor came along and made him want to shoot people. Yep, or even an accident. A car accident can easily damage portions of the brain. And like you said, people can end up speaking a strange accent that they never had before. Wouldn't it be lovely if that kind of thing was that cut and dry? Oop, crazy person has a tumor. Let's fix it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's not always that way. Yeah. <laughs> Most of the time, in fact, it's not. And, and Amber brought up uh, kleptomania is another one of those things where you have this compulsion to steal things. And, it, it, and we're not talking big things. We're talking it's usually little things. Whatever you can put in your hand, get in your pocket. And we're not talking about you know a compulsion to do something that you want to do. See, that's the thing is that a lot of times these are compulsions to do things that seem like to, if you look at it from a, a, a rational, why am I doing it? There's no good reason for it. You're just doing it. And so that's why it's our, our, our first example. But then we can move on to our second example, which is a compulsion that's a philia, where you have this enormous desire for this object or class of objects or participation in an activity almost to the exclusion of all other things. That if this object or what opportunity arises, you will subvert the mission or whatever is important to you in order to fulfill this itch that you have that must be scratched. Role-playing games. Well, yeah. I suffered from a similar compulsion myself. Again, it, it's like the same thing we talked about earlier, disclaimer. In reality, this is no fun at all. But there's this kind of cinematic fictional version that is actually fun, and that's alcoholism. People who who drink, and for some people who have alcoholism, it's just like that. You get this compulsion to drink. When somebody grabs you and says, wait, what are you doing? Why are you doing this for? You know, you find yourself going, wait, why am I doing this? Well, in this particular case, you'd say, I love the taste of it. I love how I feel when I do it. That's the philia side of it. Some people will go for that kind of thing. But really, if you're in the middle of a fringeworthy mission and you're in a dive on an alien world somewhere chugging down drinks and your team leader comes in and says, why are you here? We have to do things. And you say, well, I just like the taste. That's kind of, you know, not commensurate with the situation. That that's the way an active alcoholic would think it, would think about it and talk about it. But I'm talking about where you're actually receiving some kind of physical positive response to this. You do get a physical, uh, a positive physical response from drinking. You do get a very physical effect from it. It's just some people don't mentally handle that very well. I think for, with the alcoholics, they get an, an extra endorphin rush from it as well. So it's even more 
pleasant for them. There's stuff about a polymerase. I read it on Wikipedia. It had a lot of big words in it. But again, we want to make sure that we stay on the cinematic side. I had somebody want to play that in a Battlestar Galactica game, a guy who flew better when he was drunk. And I had a hard time GMing that because I know what long-term drinking does to people. And so it was really hard to pull out of, you know, okay, when is his liver going to start bloating? At what point is he going to start suffering blackouts and seizures and go, okay, let's just go ahead and roll with the movie style of thing here where, you know, he needs a shave every so often. There is an edge for that in, in Savage Worlds called Drunken Master where you have to get uh, inebriated before you get better. And it's it comes from the drunken style of Kung Fu, which is basically built on that whole idea. But if you know anything about drug abuse or alcoholism, it's really interesting how the cinematic side of that downplays the negative results. That's what makes it cinematic. And Jay, my um, just you know, for full disclosure, my 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 mother was an alcoholic, and I, I lived with that all my life. It can be compounded because in her case, from every you know, just living with her and knowing this, I really think that alcoholism isn't always the disease. Sometimes it's the symptom of a bigger disease. Like in her case, I truly believe that she was clinically depressed and never diagnosed for that. And alcoholism was her self-medication for that depression. We could do hours of podcast about the ins and outs and subtleties of alcoholism. But that's not fun playing. <laughs> yeah, and it's not fun. And it's, it's, yeah, it's not it, fun. It's, it's, it's not no. fun. So we want to kind of stay on the cinematic fictional side here. I feel you, brother. <laughs> I feel you. Alcoholism can be treated as a fun thing. In the movies, they like to treat it as a really fun thing. And, you know, oh, yeah, look at the drunk. Ha, ha, ha. It is a very, very complex disease. I would say for a role-playing game, keep it fun. You want to put alcoholics in your game, you know, the, the funny drunk or whatever, that's fine. Don't get too serious with it because if you start delving into it, it is very dark and deceiving disease. But again, we're talking about the philia side of it. The fact that you do like it, the fact that it does give you uh, a physical pleasure, a mental pleasure from it, it would drive your character, for example, to go to perhaps the seedy part of town because they heard about this drink that they make down there that nobody makes anywhere else because, you know, maybe it's made out of the uh, extract of certain body parts, you know, and fermented in a certain way, and it's a drink like no other, but you really love your drinks, so you're willing to drag your entire group down there or figure out some reason for them to go go through that part of town on the way to somewhere else just so you can have this opportunity to say, oh, wait a minute, let's just stop for a second. I just want to go and buy this. And that can generate a side adventure and that can you know, generate all kinds of things if you, know, you happen to be in a really seedy part of town. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I would, I would imagine, yeah. Another thing that you can do on this philia side, and this is a pretty classic thing, is if you have a particular type of person that you're attracted to. They almost did this in Willow because they did use it kind of as a magic spell with a love filter. But let's say, for example, you have a thing about redheads. Every girl who's a redhead, you want to woo, you're attracted to that person. I mean, you'll, you'll do whatever you can to woo that person because they're a redhead and the big bad is a redhead. That's unusual? As a philia? 
We're not talking about you like redheads, okay? I'm talking about you like redheads. Yeah, I, I, I'm going. Is that, a, is that unusual? Uh-oh. Katie Sackhoff, you, you bore me. Scarlett Johansson. Well, yeah, Scarlett, she's a blonde too, but she actually went redhead. Any of the, 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 the sultry brunettes, no effect to you. But to have that same person put a, a red wig on or do something, all of a sudden... You're a totally different person in your reactions to them because that's kicking in that whole philia thing. And and if the bad the big bad is a redhead, you may find yourself in the confrontation suddenly changing sides. Listen, she's not evil, she's just misunderstood. She can't be evil. She- I love her. We're supposed to have babies together. We can't kill her now. Hey, hey, I, I heard Paul likes redheads. Some no, I'm just trying to pull you into the conversation, Paul. Kicking and screaming. <laughs> Jessica Rabbit? Well, if he was kicking and screaming, it would be more... <laughs> okay, yeah, Jessica Rabbit up there. She's not a bad person. She's just drawn that way. You know, you should use these philias, if not necessarily drive the main plot, drive other plots. Use it to help justify your character's extreme behavior. Maybe to drive fun role-playing in a, in a situation where there's a conflict between getting the mission done and the philia. Then you have the infamous one, uh, OCD. I think, I, mean, I think you mentioned that in your notes. OCD, which I, I have it a little bit. I'm a, I have a mild OCD. I have CDO. It's like OCD, but the letters are in the correct order. As God intended. I knew a girl had to organize a bag of Skittles. She couldn't eat Skittles out of sequence. They had to be red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. Well, okay, when I play tile games like Carcassonne, my hand's always out there fixing the tiles because they're not lined up. John wasn't Chinese. John couldn't handle being Chinese in a game of Mahjong. Uh, No, I couldn't. (laughs) So, I mean, how does it affect our players? You're going to make a character and he's OCD. How does that affect you game mechanics-wise, like in the game? Let's go to a real-life person who was infinitely famous for being OCD, Tesla, and his things for things in threes. He had everything in multiple threes. I can just see a character just stopping, going, I'm not going. I have four magazines. I need six magazines or three. Here, you take mine. Take this one. Take this one. I'm not going to, but I have three. So let's say your character gets in a firefight, and, and then, like, you know, at the end of the the, the firefight, after all the, the stuff has gone down, you know, the guy's sorry, everybody count your ammo, make sure you're all good, okay? And your character is counting his ammo, and he's like, oh, boy. So the guy doesn't say anything to him or whatever. They move on. Your character threw away the extra magazine you had, and he's like, what happened to your extra magazine? He's like, well, that was four. I, I, I need three. I have three now. Three is good. I had six. I shot off two of them, but then we moved on, so I threw the other one away because it's three. If you want to make it even more dramatic, he empties that clip into one of the bad guys who's already dead because he had to. Right. He doesn't throw the clip away. He empties the clip. Or you're a raging gun bunny like I am, but you can't engage them except in correct order. You can't shoot at the guy with the Kalashnikov until the guy with the AR goes down. Right. That's a good example. Thank you, Paul. I, I must kill the guy on the left first. I, I must work left to right. It's like, no, kill the guy with the bazooka. No, I have to kill the guy before the guy with the bazooka because there's a guy with the before the bazooka on the right-hand side. He must go down first. Then I can kill the guy with the bazooka. It's like, just kill the guy with the bazooka. No, no, I can't. It's like, I'm going to kill you. 
Yeah, yeah, wouldn't be prudent. Wouldn't and, be prudent. And, right, and exactly. hire the guy with the bazooka. Yeah. yeah, stop arguing with me and help me kill the guy on the left. <laughs> right. <laughs> I can see the, the, the team there go, hey, guy with bazooka, go to the le- go this way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All of a sudden, the, the one car- the team member runs over and tackles the guy. <laughs> Starts carrying him over to the left and rolls away saying, okay. (laughs) I just want to remind people, okay, OCD is not an advantage. OCD is a sickness. So like I hear people all the time like, oh, I'm a clean freak. I'm OCD. No, you're not. You know what makes you OCD? If you can't leave your house because a spoon is in the sink. That's what makes you OCD. It's not an advantage. It's a disadvantage. Trust me. Well, and then, then we're back into the cinematic versus uh, versus realistic disclaimer. So I, I'm realizing now because I'm about to say one more thing, and I'm 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 realizing now that that I am surrounded by dysfunction. I'm wondering where my dysfunction is, and the fact that I'm surrounded by it. You're here with us. <laughs> so my. I know what you mean, Peter. <laughs> so my, my, I grew up in a, um, you know, a assisted living where there's mentally ill people that we took care of, right? And my mother was now called. So my wife has OCD, and she has like real OCD, like just not like keeping a clean house. She really, I mean, she's been, she really has OCD. You know, there are things like, for example, one night when we first started dating, I unloaded the dishwasher for her being nice, right? Well, that wasn't the nice thing to do. Because when we laid down and went to bed, she got up after I fell asleep and went and rearranged all the stuff that I had put in the wrong place, I guess. Uh, (laughs) I unload my dishwasher in a very specific manner. Uh, I I start at the top. I start with the bowls. Then I work to the glasses. Then I work to anything else that I put up there. Then I go go down and I... And I do the do the big plates, then I do the small plates, then I take the, the little basket out with all the silverware, and then I start with the spoons, then the forks, then the knives. <laughs> I got to do it in order. I can't do it not in that order. Back into the realistic versus cinematic uh, disclaimer here. You know that kind of insanity is catchy. People get it from living around people who have it. No. You know, it's not the same kind of crazy, but you develop a very specific kind of I live with crazy people crazy. Well, she is a very clean person. Don't get me wrong. She's a very clean person, but she's a very cluttered person. So like John, like you were saying, I've been in your apartment, so I see what you're talking about. She knows where everything is, but she's the only one who knows where everything is because to me it looks like a big cluttered jumbled mess. Her and I don't share a bathroom because her bathroom is so cluttered, I can't take it. But she knows where everything is. Don't get me wrong. She knows everything has its place. It's just <laughs> – it's funny. And and you're right, Jay. So where where do we go with this with his characters? I mean that that's the reality of it. But playing it as a character, I mean how does it manifest? Well, I've actually seen uh, groups where one character will be sort of loopy. And all the other uh, characters will just kind of go, oh, that's him. And so you put them out among people who don't know him, and the character acts loopy, and all the NPCs go, uh, <laughs> you know that guy's loopy, right? And all the PCs invariably go, oh, no, that's just him. You'll get used to him. It's okay. He's, he's not bad or anything. No, he's actually eating that car. That, that's not right. No, he's, he's fine. It's nothing real. It's nothing serious. And so this kind of enabling starts to take effect. I don't know how that could be used for any kind of fun. I noticed it. 
and sort of had Gloopy come around to bite them. And I've had uh, arguments with people. I remember a Star Wars game where one of the droids was taught how to curse. An R2 droid was taught how to curse. And everybody in the party thought it was cute except for one guy. Because it was inappropriate, it became a personal conflict rather than something weird inside the game. Right? And so managing it so it stays inside the game without people getting upset at it is an interesting problem. And I can't say that I ever really ever really uh, mastered that. I can see how this manifests in the game because if you have it bad enough, uh, like OCD, the person's got to go through a ritual before they do anything. Uh, they got to make sure, you know, their pockets are flat. They have a straight line from the top of their neck right down to the crotch. There's a straight line. The belt buckle lines up. The zipper's lined up. The shirt seam lines up. And if it moves all the way, they got to stop and readjust it. So would that be like in a game for uh, – let's, again, boil this down to game mechanic. It takes them longer to do everything. They take an extra action to get ready to do something. Everyone else has got – you know, they pop up the magazine and slap one in. The OCD guy takes the magazine out, puts it away properly, pulls the other one out. He takes him a f- extra action to actually put the magazine in. Well, maybe, maybe not on every case. Not every case, but yeah. But for the most part, if it's not that action, he takes an extra action to load a magazine. But I'm just saying, like, for example, for Bureau 13, let's say, you know, you're going to meet with the big boss. You know, the, the mission's going to start, or even uh, Fringeworthy or whatever. It doesn't matter. Whatever Tri-Tech game we're playing. It's going to be a meeting with, with whoever's the boss. And the whole, you know, the whole group shows up, and your character is always the last one to show up, and he always shows up like ten minutes late, and that's that's just part of your OCD affliction because that was you doing whatever stuff you have to do to fit your, you know, your compulsion. I've been playing Burning Wheel, and there is a um, a, a trait called meticulous. Now it has two sides; it can be a bad thing and a good thing. On the, on the bad side, it's OCD. You take extra time to do everything. But on the good side, you do everything in ordered steps, and you don't skip those steps. So it may take you longer, but you're doing everything right. Right, right. There's no such thing as a bad trait, no such thing as a good trait type systems. A system where you actually have hindrances and edges, you could say, you could take, say in Savage Worlds, you could have. You can have quirk OCD, which is only a minor thing, but then you also take, say, um, academic to make up for the fact that you you, you know lots of things, and it, you'll play it up as, my, this academic turns out that I do things in certain steps and orders because of my quirk OCD. Ah. So they sort of play each other off that way. Yeah, you get bonuses, but you, ha- but t- but you ha- because you're OCD, you take extra time to do it. It might drive certain choices of behaviors. For example, let's say you always have to have your hair perfectly parted. And every time that you know the wind blows and messes up, you have to stop and fix it. Well, then it might actually drive a person to shave themselves completely bald and shave their entire body, get them their entire body waxed every two weeks just to make sure that this wouldn't come into play in the middle, in the middle of a mission because... They don't have to suffer from this anymore because there's no hair for them to fixate over. Right. Now, of course, someone says, well, Bill, we need you to play the vagrant. Here's a wig for you to wear. Bill's not going to be the right person for that job. Yeah. Because first of all, you're going to have a very well-groomed vagrant. So that probably wouldn't work out too well. He might be a good Santa Claus, though. 
the OCD person may not be technical. He may, you know, or may not be an electronics or computer whiz. He may actually be a car mechanic. You know, when he works in the car, when he works in the trucks for the for the team, they run like a dream because he spends all night making sure you know everything's done and all the wrenches are lined up in a row on his bench. All the nuts and bolts are lined up. That would be a really good but really slow mechanic. Yep, <laughs> but he does a good job. You know, we, we've covered all compulsions except for one last one, and that are phobias. And we're not going to cover that because we already covered that in episode 143 and 144 of our podcast. Do you have some strange irrational fear of recovering old ground? I'm afraid, afraid not. <laughs> <laughs> I have a strange irrational fear of this podcast running too long. I wouldn't call that irrational. We spent two hours. I mean, we're talking about two episodes here, so it's two hours talking about phobias. I don't think we're going to be able to do any more justice to it than what's already been done. So I really want to just point our listeners to those earlier episodes and say, okay, stop this tape now, go listen to two hours of phobias, and then come back if you really don't want to miss anything having to do with phobias. Yep, I agree. Because we pretty much buried that one. And that brings us up to our final part of this particular podcast, which is talking about our ideas of a great adventure that would involve having these uh, delusions. You know, an example adventure where this would be a main point of driving the, the mission. Now, it can be one of two ways. It could be either where everybody shares the same affliction, delusion, or it could be there's a, there's a mix where people have different ones, but the idea was for everybody to have a form of insanity, whether it's shared or whether it's different, for the purposes of creating an adventure. So who wants to go first? I'm good. I'll go first. All right. Please go ahead, Peter. I'm going to use Bureau 13. I think this it's a good one for that. Uh, you have some... Uh, enemy agent, some kind of demon, or uh, uh, maybe a, a bad, you know, like an evil magician or something, who is affecting all of the group with some sort of mass delusion. So everybody is having, they're having a shared delusion. I would start this adventure off affecting each one of them individually, but kind of pointing them all in sort of the same direction, and then at some point. The group would have to, to, to beat this villain to, to discover that this villain was even in play and that this was going on. This delusion would be – it would be kind of subtle at first and, and would build. And I would build it to make it more and more crazy as time went on so that the players would eventually get the hint that you know maybe none of this is real. But this would be something that they're all kind of sharing, but I would approach them at different points with these different different things. The idea would be that this delusion was pointing them towards a certain direction to either recover some item or destroy some item or kill some person uh, or so, some some goal that would set off some kind of cataclysmic event. And I would be try to give them enough clues make the situation as you know crazy enough as time went on so that they would start going wait a minute that this can't be right this can't be real maybe maybe i'm seeing things or maybe i'm going nuts you know and they would talk to the other players and oh, i'm seeing the same thing it's like well how can we both be saying the same this is crazy right all right so i i'm gonna start with the uh i'll start with the, the first one here the the mass delusion is what i'm going for and uh, i'm gonna basically 
take it in the the confines of the Bureau 13 world because it's the easiest one that that works in. So imagine you have some demon or wizard of some kind who is affecting the whole group and making everybody believe this uh, crazy convoluted story. Now this works best if you take it from uh, a believable kind of delusion, something that's easy, and then it starts getting worse and worse and worse because you, you want the group to start getting clues that something is going on. You don't want to make it so believable that they wind up doing this awful stuff for this villain uh, without any chance of, of ever overcoming it. So you want to kind of escalate it. Uh, you know, Write your story so that it has to escalate in order for some cataclysmic event to happen. That way it gives the players a clue that something's going on. You know, Things start getting really, really crazy. And it's just like, wait a minute, wait a minute. This can't be real. This can't be reality. Something is up. And and that would be my the, the whole like mass delusion. Um, sort of everybody has – it seems to have schizophrenia because, you know, they're hearing voices or seeing things that aren't real. And other people are questioning them like – what are you talking about? There, there's nothing over there. It's like, don't you see it? They're, 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 you know, there these things are everywhere. And then that would give the players a chance to go, wait a minute, you know, get into whoever your game master is. And you're like, dude, my character is, is starting to question whether any of this is real or not. And I think that would be a good way to, to run the whole delusion thing. Not having the, the players themselves actually have delusion, but you know, sort of kind of introducing it to the whole campaign. Next. <laughs> I don't see a problem with them being fully immersed in the illusion. Because to me, it, it's just fun to, to do it sometimes. Especially if you say, Peter, it's a sheer reality. Are they really crazy or not? You know, the one I was thinking about is, is that uh, and this could be infringe-worthy using super science or some kind of thing where they has a nanobot thing inside their head that's tweaking their nervous system in a certain way so they reinterpret things in the way they should. A form of virtual reality, perhaps, or it could be magic or whatever. It's a mass shared reality where they all think it's like 200 years earlier. Instead of being in their modern time, they're now 200 years behind. The delusion can leave their stuff alone or it can transform everything. And so uh, the, the cars, they're in a modern city, but the cars, they look like wagons, okay? And all the modern buildings look like either small buildings or little keeps or things like that. And the way I saw them kind of getting around some of the issues was that either the cars would appear to be moving a lot slower than they really were, which could cause you to get into accidents. Their carts, uh, you would have trouble making them work because you probably don't know how to be a teamster or something with animals. Or it could be where you could take the the idea of like they did in the movie John Carter, where you had that six-legged dog-like creature that moved like a zillion miles an hour. So here they all are on these these little carts there with or wagons. And all of a sudden, they just surge forward at 30 miles an hour, almost from a dead stop, because they're cars, and the cars can move real fast. And you don't see the light changing, because that doesn't appear for you. Uh, you go into buildings, and there's only like two floors after that. You see the ceiling, even though the building might go up for another 50 or 60 stories. Where you might run into a problem is, is that people would go and go upstairs, and they would never seem to come back. You go looking for them, they'd be gone. 
And because they were higher up, you know, and they come back down, and all of a sudden it says, well, where were you? I was upstairs. Well, I went upstairs. I didn't see you. Well, I'm, you know, and then that's, again, where the delusion has to kick in to keep it. I was up on the roof. Does everybody go up on the roof in this town? Yes. It's, you know, and, and it's, it comes down to how you plan it out, whether it's a, if it's purely a delusion that you as a player character have to fulfill, then you have, you come up with whatever rationalization is necessary. If it's some kind of a program thing with a nanobot, well, then they're going to have a lot harder time covering all the bases. But ultimately, what I was trying to, to get to with this was it's not only it could be 200 years in the past, but it could also have a fantasy element where the big bad that you're trying to go after turns out to be a dragon. And you're going to fight this dragon, but the dragon is like 40, 50 feet long. But in fact, is the guy that you're fighting is only his like bat right leg because he's really only the size of that. And everything else that you're seeing is this gigantic manifestation of delusion. So, of course, you pull out your AK-47 and you start hosing it, the dragon in the head and the dragon laughs and the, the shots go bouncing off its face and, you know, riddling the walls because, of course, he's that's not where anything important is. And the, guy, the big bad, he's not affected by that. He doesn't know why, or maybe he does, know why you're shooting all over every place but him because nobody ever thinks about shooting the back right leg. You know, that's not the important part. That's not the tail that's swinging around, knocking them off their feet. That's not the big claws in the front that are raping and, and uh, raping, I'm sorry, raking and, and shredding the player characters. It's not the big mouth with the flames coming out of it. It's, it's the back right leg, and nobody ever shoots that, but that's where he is. And so you might ultimately end up finding out that only an area effect attack is going to take out the big bad guy. It might make a lot more sense in retrospect. But that was the delusion I thought would be cool to do, would be something where you th thought you were actually 200 years in the past, some time travel device or something, when in fact is you were still dealing in a modern-day setting with all the dangers inherent in that, and of course with people who kept treating you as if you're crazy. But of course, if you're infringe-worthy, a lot of times that happens where people treat you like you're crazy because you're so alien to them. Yep. Mm -hmm. Sounds like fun. <laughs> so, John, you got what? Actually, let's do Amber's up next. Oh, please. Someone with a better speaking voice. Want to read that than me? Or Sure, I'll do it. Okay, so Amber says, An idea that I did have would be that one particular character had a guardian angel that only they could see. And I would imagine through the campaign, this guardian angel would be something of a Jiminy Cricket. Helping... The one player making good decisions, possibly aiding in awareness that the player character may have otherwise not been aware of. But as the game progresses, the, the angel may slowly corrupt, either corrupt on his own, or may slowly corrupt the PC to the point where the PC may turn out to be the big bad of the story. So not only do you have a party of other PCs who weren't really sure what the first PC was doing in their invisible friend... Now they have to face this former teammate as an enemy. And that makes for an interesting campaign, you know. I mean, you, you could go either way. Maybe they have a guardian angel that does help them see things. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe this is just something that, you know, they perceive on their own. Or perhaps it is some kind of agent 
who uh, initially helps them and then, you know, goes sour. Always had a, a uh, an alternative motive that, you know, the player didn't know about. And then, you know, the rest of the party is always left to wondering, you know, whatever he's talking to, you know, does seem to be right most of the time. Maybe we should, maybe we should consider that. And then until start, things start going bad, and they're just like, well, maybe we should stop considering this, this thing. The person actually has a compulsion, and this compulsion is manifesting itself as this guardian angel that's first trying to gain the trust of the player character, or I should say, the, the, yes, the player character, so that they'll do what the guardian angel wants, because ultimately what the guardian angel wants to do is to make this person fulfill the compulsion. Yes. I think that's, I think that's a good take. I mean, that, that'll be a really good, um, I think it'd be a really good adventure arc to, to run. Mm-hmm. Because you, you never know. I mean, you can always make the argument that the things this person, the guy angel points out or sees, the character could have seen them and just, you know, and just somehow in the back of his mind processed them differently and pops them in, out the mouth of his guardian angel. Or there really is a guardian angel, but it's not really an angel. More fallen than an angel. Uh, and that's just two directions you go with it. I mean, you could go with the direction that they really do have a guardian angel. And that this guardian angel really is an angel and is leading him down, you know, the right path. Uh, you know, and even another abstract version is that the guardian angel is is taking them down the right path, but it seems like the wrong path. In other words, like the guardian angel wants you to do something that seems crazy or reprehensible, but, you know, in the big picture, it really isn't. You know, it's like I want you to kill this baby or something you know and it's just like what is like, i'm not killing a baby you know that's horrible you yeah but it's the antichrist but it's the antichrist right that's where i was going with it. right turns out it's the antichrist but this thing isn't answering questions the way it should be or or a way that it would help the rest of the party understand what's going on and again don't be too clever game masters don't ever be too clever for your party because um, if you're too clever for the players, they won't figure it out. And then you'll be like banging your head against the table. like, well, I put all these clues out there. Why didn't you get it? It's like, dude, really? I mean, come on. You know the answer. Of course it was easy for you. It's just another version of the plot hammer. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, so you want to make it easy enough for the players to get it. And if they don't get it, keep making it easier until they do. Yeah. And if you make it too easy, however, they'll first thing they'll do is get some lithium and start giving it to the guy. Uh, <laughs> you know, or, or other psychoactive drugs to help calm him down and make him stop seeing the, the guardian angel. So you have to have enough deniability in there that the angel may be real, or it may be that just the guy's processing things differently and he's having the angel do the talking for him, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe the angel is real some of the time. There's that too. The rest of the time, you've got a delusion that the angels there giving you good advice, when in fact is it's bad advice that you're coming up on with your own. Or it's the old question: Is was Hobbs a real tiger, or was he a stuffed tiger? Right. <laughs> was Harvey a real rabbit or not? He was a puka. <laughs> so John, mine actually taps into the fact that you actually in Savage Worlds can buy a de- get a delusion as a hindrance. You actually can take it, take a delusion, and you can take it at two different levels, a minor delusion or a major delusion. This is where I actually would encourage a player to take a major delusion 
and then go for it. Let the player go with their major delusion. Maybe even to the detriment of the party. Try to do it such that, you know, the other players don't realize that he's taking a delusion. So tell the guy, you want a delusion close enough to reality that no one's going to notice that it doesn't quite mesh. It would fall into the conspiracy things. I would imagine that would be the best kind, though. Yeah. You know, he basically he's into conspiracies. If you if you play it in, say, Bureau 13, you don't know. Right. You don't know if this guy is right or wrong. He could be right by accident, too. In a lot of cases, you know, a guy, you know, the rest of the party might say, oh, that's just Paul. You know, Paul's crazy. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> There's an ongoing character in Bureau 13 that none of you guys have mentioned, okay, who is exactly this way. And that is Zorch the Prophet. Oh, yes. Zorch has a minor ability to convince other people that what he says is true. But otherwise, he's crazy loon. I mean, one week he'll be like, you know, the government is putting, you know, tracking devices in our drinking water, which some people could buy in. But then the next week, he's like trying to stamp out beats before some other bizarre reason. And his psychosis just keeps changing where he picks up wild notions and then starts selling the idea to people around him. So he's constantly losing his faithful flock because they suddenly realize he's crazy and he's telling, saying something completely different this week than he was last week, and then find a whole new group of people to bring under his wing and teach them the one true way. And sometimes those are also PCs that get pulled into this. They run into him right after he's made a change, and all of a sudden he's telling them something, and they're like, you know, he's right, because he's got the evidence, sort of. Yeah. And what he says is very reasonable, sort of. And there's a lot of people that seem to believe in what he's saying, and they're willing to stand up and show good evidence to support what he's saying. Yeah. It's easy to get carried away with Zorch because Zorch has that effect on people around him. Ultimately, when you're a long-term player and you run into Zorch three or four times, you, you totally don't take what he's doing. But he's also a magnet for the supernatural, which means that a lot of times the problem that you're trying to deal with shows up yep. near Zorch. He's a, a catalyst for a lot of adventures, and you find yourself, to a certain extent, going along with his psychoses, his delusions, because you're near him and you have to in order to complete the mission. Yeah, so he's preaching about the fact that they're putting nano devices into oranges, you know, especially this one food chain, the super wiggly bargain barn. They're putting tracking devices in the oranges. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. And then you notice some strange things going on in this grocery store. You decide to go and check it out, and you notice some strange things going on. They have a special place to put the oranges and all this stuff. You start wondering, was he right? Yeah, you have to do it so there's enough maybe evidence. Because remember, you're, you're being affected by searches. Uh, psychic power. You may there may be enough evidence has to seem plausible that you think he might be right. That maybe they are putting tracking devices in the oranges. If the GM's doing his job right, you will have participated in at least one burning of the of a supermarket chain store down before the adventure's over. Yeah, <laughs> he could literally be this guy who's right half the time. You just got to figure out which half is he's being right about. Uh, to me, that plays right into the whole Call of Cthulhu type of uh, characters where you're playing and when you get intermingled with these 
super horrific, evil, outer-worldly creatures, you know, you generally suffer some form of insanity from it. You know, it affects you profoundly. You know, you look into the face of evil and evil looks back at you. That that character sounds like the kind of guy he has faced that kind of evil. So not only does he, you know, he he has a connection with this evil and, and he really does see some of this some of the supernatural stuff that's going on. He's been so affected by it that some of the stuff he sees isn't real either, you know? So he's like he he's seeing real real evil stuff and he's seeing some not so real evil stuff. There's a variation on this where we haven't touched. The person sees strange things. Why? For some reason, his mind is partially in another dimension. Another, an alternate world. And that's where he's seeing this stuff. He's seeing stuff through other people's eyes from an alternate world. Which is why it sounds so crazy. Because he switches channels on a regular basis. But he's seeing real things. It's like the story from beyond. The super stimulated hippocampus. In the inner eye? Yeah, right. There's like this fifth dimension that's floating about us. So these creatures, they're sort of like in another dimension. They can't see us and we can't see them. Until you use the dimensional resonator to bring them into alignment. Right. So imagine imagine you've got a character. What was it? The pineal gland? Is that what it was? It's always the pineal gland. Of course it's the pineal gland, right. <laughs> so maybe you're playing a character and you don't even realize it, but your pineal gland is overdeveloped or something, and you are seeing some of this stuff from this fifth dimension. And everybody else is saying you're crazy. You know, it's like, what do you mean? He's some weird bug crawling around. What are you talking about? And it's like, you can't prove to them that it's there. It really is, but it really isn't at the same time, you know, because it exists in this fifth dimension. There's a movie called, and you've, you've all got to see this. It's a really good movie. It's, it's a, kind of an indie film. It's called John Dies at the End. Mm, I've heard of it. I haven't seen this. It is really, really good, and it actually touches on this in a very, like, really cool way. For this episode of the podcast, I'm going to advise all you listeners, anyone who's listening to this, go see John Dies at the End, and you'll get an, a really good idea of how to do this from what we're talking about right now. They deal with that sort of, like, weird fifth-dimensional type of thing where – People are affected and they can see these things that are around them. It's a lot like From Beyond in a way, but it'd be a good way to, to implement this. And it'd be a really – that's a really good movie for Bureau 13. If you're playing Bureau 13, that would be a awesome, awesome adventure arc to run. Of course, there is the other version of this, which, we, we, which I think Bruce and I missed. And actually, it used to be an old player character of mine. He was called the wino because basically he could see into people and see their phobias. But he also could also make them appear in, as illusions. So yes, your phobias would appear in real life. I don't like that. Imagine a person like this walking around and he's picking up everyone's phobias, however light or, sm or small they are, and making them and amplifying them. Giant bugs crawling around and so forth. You know, tarantulas, spiders, snakes, whatever, you know. Your mother is there all the time yelling at you. or Things like that. Everyone appears to be dead if you have that kind of phobia. You see zombies walk around. And it's coming from this one person who can't control it. He's making your fears appear. That's like uh, Karma from uh, Marvel, right? Yeah, or, or, or the other guy. The, uh, he used to be an X-Men, too. He also could make people's phobias and fears and so forth uh, visible. But he can make it much more immersive. 
But you don't want that as a player character unless you're playing some kind of superhero campaign or something. He's the person you're trying to deal with. Right, right. Yeah, because you don't. Yeah, if you make him a player character, yeah, it only works if he's a supervillain. You're right. You're right. Okay, so uh, Paul, Paul. Really, I'm just going to go with a cautionary tale that make sure it is a shared delusion that uh, your campaign or whatever is going to break down in the first play episode if you have characters who all have different delusions. Oh, that's that's not a good idea at all. <laughs> exactly. If you have one guy that interprets the whole world as a Chinese mystic universe and another who is interpreting the world as a Borg universe and another who's interpreting the world as an AD&D universe, your game is going to bog down like quicksand as you make three different descriptions of the scenery, three different descriptions of every attacker or how every combination goes together. It's a GM nightmare. It's, that's the kind of game where you pick your books up, you put them on the shelf, and you take long, solitary walks with your dog. Well, unless it becomes the player's job to handle all that. I mean, the GM tells you what's happening, and it's the player's job to interpret that in their character's mind and then base their actions on the character's delusionary view of what the information they've received. So all of a sudden, the characters are talking with different kinds of speech. The characters are doing certain things that they shouldn't be doing. They're acting erratically. And so the other players have to keep saying, John, John, what are you doing? Don't you see it says, don't press the big red button? She says, yeah, I know it says that. I know it. It's the big red button. <laughs> it, it must be pushed. I can't go over there. There's a pit of lava between me and, that, and, and the switchboard. Yeah. And everyone's responsible, of course, for A, making the game fun, and B, you don't want to steal anybody's spotlight, you don't want to screw the adventure, yeah. but at the same time, you're trying to add to the chaos as much as possible, you try to bring your character's psychoses out to play as much as possible so that the other players can bounce off of it. In Westerville State Mental Hospital, they took the catatonic and they used them as a battering ram to get a door open that was that was locked and they couldn't get through any other way. Yes, it did kill the catatonic when they did that, but it worked. <laughs> the guy was a good battering ram. This kind of scenario is best done as a one or two shot. This is something temporary happening to your characters because long term, nah, it ain't going to work. I think people would get bored. It's a lot of effort. I mean, keeping up that level of, of push would be really hard, but I still think it'd be fun to do, you know, at least as a one-time shot scenario, one adventure scenario. Well, we've covered a lot of territory here when we're talking about insanity. The important thing that we want to emphasize is, one, make sure it's fun. Because insanity isn't really fun in the real world. It's a terrible affliction that nobody really enjoys, and it's, it's a great burden for everybody. But in a game world, it can be a lot of fun because, it, A, it's, it will t can totally revolutionize whatever it is that you're doing. And, B, it can allow your character to really break out of the strictures, the way that you've been playing them up till now. The character that is the mousy wallflower suddenly can become Roger Ramjet and or total attention crazy person. So it's another opportunity for you to transform your character, to transform your adventure, and to possibly even transform your campaign. 
if you want to keep go far enough with it, if it isn't too disruptive. So definitely go crazy with it. <laughs> go crazy. Right. <laughs> but at the same time, make sure that you don't ruin your campaign. This whole series, as we've been talking about, is for difficult characters. And they all come with some dangers, with disruption to the game itself, to party unity, to even destroying your own character concepts. So it's something that should be done by, shall I say, mature players, by a well-experienced GM, because otherwise you end up with slapstick, which isn't what we're really talking about here. If you want to do that, that's fine. But then when you get a little bit more seasoning, come back and really try to do this right with an insanity that's either individual or shared as little or as much as you want to do it and just really allow it to inform your game so that you get what we refer to as immersion play where unexpected, really great, awesome things happen in your game because you've been brave enough to do something that could really transform it, and it does. Right. It, it's all about bringing the awesome to your game. And introducing san- insanities of any kind or any kind of mental illness to your game is going to bring it down. Don't introduce it. Really, just don't. Just, just avoid it. If you don't think your players can handle it or you, or you as a game master don't feel as though you can handle it, avoid it. If you think you can turn it into something fun and make your game more interesting, then absolutely bring it in. And we'll have more crazy ideas to transform your game and make it awesome next week. But until then, this is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there. So go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game. Hate the players. This is Amber. It's all fun and games until the DM rolls a one. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. This is Paul. When you remove the pin, Mr. Grenade is no longer your friend. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction. No derivatives. And sucker. You best attribute this to the folks at TriTech Games. And if you don't, we'll be having your sorry butts. Cause we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.